Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 107 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and today I'm actually not joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. He's chilling at home with his pup and probably playing some Dead Cells or something, but uh, I still wanted to get behind the mic today, record a solo episode, because yesterday, Ryan actually came over to my place, and we spent a few hours in the game room going through all of the episodes of Otaku Brothers to date, not actually listening to them, but just kind of the topics of discussion that we covered in some of our earlier episodes, and we went through our old uh, notes app on our phone, because he and I sometimes will just, wherever we are, just come up with ideas for the show, and we really haven't executed on a lot of those, and I know earlier on we had uh, Growing Up in the 90s Part 2, we had a Conspiracy Theories episode that we wanted to follow up on, we had a lot of ideas that we just never uh, followed through on, and so we kind of just sat down for a few hours mapped out what we've done so far, where we want to take the show in the future, and we came up with some new ideas too. So I just wanted to take the opportunity today to to kind of share some of that stuff with you guys. Hopefully everyone will will get a kick out of it, find it uh, somewhat entertaining. And I also just was last night, I was just thinking about uh, lots of stuff. I don't know what it is, but late at night, that's typically when my mind is going fastest and I can't uh, shut it off. So that's when I just start typing ideas about uh, either podcast episodes, YouTube videos that I want to do in the future, things of that nature, but I thought, what the heck, why not just hop behind the mic today and talk about something that I've been wanting to chat about for a while, and that is kind of how my video game collecting habits have changed really over the past 10 to 12 years, really beginning uh, when I was a teenager uh, but mostly what kicked it off was the YouTube gaming community. So at the end of this this episode, however long it is, I just kind of want to chat about that. I wrote some rough notes and I just kind of want to speak to those and speak to how my, my habits have changed uh, over the years. But what do we say? We kick it off, talk through some of the ideas, things that are in the pipeline for the Otaku Brothers podcast The first of which is something Ryan and I talked about last week. We did a little bit of a tease. I posted something late last night in the Discord because I was hard at work kind of putting it all together. And if you remember, I think it was two years ago at this point. Yeah, it had to be 2019. Ryan and I did a March Madness style bracket challenge where we had 64 different games, four different quadrants from really four separate eras of video games or four distinct generations And we kind of just pitted the games against one another. Ryan and I spent probably over eight hours hashing it all out until we had our winners. I believe, gosh, who? You know what? I'm not even going to say. I think I know what ended up taking the trophy for Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I know what reigned supreme for me. But go back and listen to episodes 35 and 36-ish. It's mid-30s. I think the episode titles were... Super Bros beats Battlefront or something like that, and Mount Olympus is the limit. I can't remember. I just I have a weird association with names and numbers, and I think it's mid-30s. So go check those out. Ryan and I definitely had some of our most memorable moments talking through those 64 games. And my gosh, were we 
super slap happy by the end of it because while we took some breaks, I mean, it was it was one big sitting. So, uh, well, two sittings, two episodes uh, going through the bracket. But I'm really looking forward to doing that once again here starting next weekend. Ryan and I came up with 64 characters. All right. So the four different quadrants we talked about it last week are Nintendo, Xbox, PlayStation and Square slash Square Enix. So we're definitely going to include some of the original Square Soft characters in this bracket. And Ryan and I are just going to, in a very D&D type fashion, pit these characters against each other. And what we did is we actually have 10 distinct locations that we came up with because there needs to be some kind of variable in place when you have these characters against each other, right? It can't just be that what happens when you put Ratchet and Kratos into an arena, who ends up winning? I mean, that's that's kind of the idea of this whole thing, but we did want to add some additional nuance to it. And so if I can pull up the actual places here, I'll actually tell you live here on the show. Uh, we wanted to, from those 64 characters, kind of take distinct locations from those games. And so I chose three from Xbox three from Nintendo, two from PlayStation, and two from Square Enix games. And so I'll just rattle through these just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, what is it going to look like when Aloy's fighting Ganon or Master Chief is fighting Joanna Dark? We really wanted to make it a little bit more unique. And so the 10 locations are the Medical Pavilion from Bioshock, Freeze-Easy Peak from Banjo-Kazooie, of course, Blood Gulch, from Halo Combat Evolved, one of my favorite maps on the OG Halo. Sector Z from Star Fox, many will remember this level from the N64 Smash Brothers, just kind of that uh, classic ship level. Hyrule Castle from Ocarina of Time, but this is also to be modeled after the N64 Smash Brothers. Mute City, that'll definitely be interesting because we also want not it to just be this platform but the other variables, the elements of these levels that can have an influence into who wins this battle. It's not just a pure, uh, a match of pure brawn and strength. There's other things that these characters are going to use to their advantage, and Ryan and I are going to kind of narrate those different scenarios uh, to our own liking. Again, this is going to be very off the cuff. We're not going to be writing scripts for this, but we do kind of want to create a D&D situation uh, for these character battles. Uh, we also have Old Yarnum from Bloodborne, of course. Sentinel Beach from Jack and Daxter, Grand Pulse from Final Fantasy XIII, and Olympus Coliseum from Kingdom Hearts. We needed kind of a Final Destination uh, type place, and I think Olympus Coliseum kind of fits that bill. So how is that going to work though, right? So we're going to have these 64 characters, the battles are going to take place in traditional uh, 1 through 16 seed style, single elimination, there's no second chances here in the Otaku Brothers March Madness bracket. Before each battle, Ryan and I will have a number generator up, random number generator 1 through 10. And so for each battle, we'll click quickly hit that generation or number generator. And whatever it lands on, 1 through 10, that's where the characters will battle it out. Ryan and I are just going to go talk through it. And with each character that wins, they move to the next round. And of course, Ryan and I are doing our own separate brackets. We're not doing uh, a singular Otaku Brothers bracket, but... The fun with all of this is that all of you will also get the opportunity to fill out your own bracket. So I'm actually in the process of finishing it up today. I have all the seating figured out, and that's the other thing we need to talk to, right? So how do you 
subjectively rank or seed these characters? Is Joanna Dark more powerful than Master Chief? You know, what variables do you look at for that? Ryan and I didn't go into that nonsense. We honestly just put the 16 characters, or I matched them up in an Excel spreadsheet, ran a formula to randomly uh, num- generate numbers for those 16 characters. I closed my eyes. I copied pasted them. I didn't look. I didn't rerun them. The first time that they generated, it happened. So, you know, for all we know, Kratos is a 16 seed and Astrobot is a number one seed. All right. And in my heart, that's the truth. But you know, we'll, we're leaving it to Excel to uh, figure out where these characters ranked. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, last night, Lauren was, uh, as I was kind of putting it all together and figuring out everything here in this big old spreadsheet of mine, Lauren was downstairs and she has this tool on her iPad called Procreate. And so she was doing some graphics and stuff for the actual bracket. And uh, it was funny because I was up here in the game room putting this all together, listening to some good tunes and some Pete Dore on eBay. And uh, she would text me periodically, like every hour and a half, and was just like, hey, I need another Ghibli movie, because uh, she was watching some of the Studio Ghibli films while she was putting this together, and of course, uh, our boy Scoob was uh, laying on her lap, so she didn't want to get up. So, I hooked a girl up, you know, she was uh, she, she started the night off with Kiki's Delivery Service, which is uh, one of our personal favorites, one of the first ones we, uh, one of the first movies we actually watched when we started dating, Uh my Neighbor Totoro, I think, was the next one that she watched, and then Castle in the Sky. Those are, for me, kind of the the three like most feel-good Studio Ghibli films. I mean, they're all terrific, right? It's like picking your favorite child. They're, they're all perfect in our eyes, and, uh, well, they're not all perfect, but definitely uh, some are better than others, but I think Totoro, Castle in the Sky, and Kiki's Delivery Service are just so wholesome, and they just, uh, very joyful, very cute, very adorable, and always make for a good time. So she enjoyed that. She had some good times making the graphics. And I'm really excited to get this out there for all the good people. And hopefully everyone will have some fun tuning in to the next two weeks of the Otaku Brothers podcast. Where Ryan and I are going to be talking through all of these characters and, and the battles that ensue. And my goodness, I don't think I'm even prepared because some of our most recent episodes have been a little bit shorter and Ryan and I are going to try and hash this out over two episodes. So uh, buckle up. Hopefully you have some some good podcast games uh, cooking, maybe some RPGs, whatever it might be, uh, to, to be able to listen to uh, or to be able to play and enjoy while you listen to us uh, rant about characters fighting for, for four hours, possibly eight. We'll see what happens. But hopefully you're looking forward to that. So that's the next two weeks. And then beyond that, Ryan and I were just hashing out some different ideas. And uh, one of the series, or, or I kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, some of the things that we started very early on in the podcast, uh, one episode was growing up in the 90s. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but uh, I'll be 28 this month. Ryan will be 29, I think, in July. Uh, crazy inching closer to 30. But uh, anyways, Ryan and I were both, both grew up in the 90s. I know some people will kind of scock at that and say, did you, did you really grow up in the 90s if you were born in 93 and and 92? But I consider myself a 90s kid and Ryan and I had a really fun time earlier on talking through television shows that we watched, toys that we grew up with, video games that we played, uh, just 
the stuff that happened in the 90s, right? And Ryan and I want to do a follow-up episode with that. And to be honest with you, since it's probably been 100 episodes or near 100 episodes since we've talked about it, we'll probably just redo the whole thing and do it from scratch just because I'm sure since then we've had uh, some new listeners that started listening to the show. And with that, we want to just kind of completely redo the 90s discussion from scratch. So that'll be fun. One of my favorite episodes uh, probably because I didn't have to do much prep. It was more just responding and reacting to the stuff that Ryan had prepared for the episode, and that was conspiracy theories. So I know this is completely unrelated to video games and pop culture and things that Ryan and I traditionally talk about, but I think it's really fascinating to talk through conspiracy theories. I'm not one that really puts any stock in conspiracy theories myself, but my goodness, is it really interesting to listen to you know, ideas and concepts and things that people have devoted their entire lives to believing and researching and trying to pull the curtain behind and reveal the truth behind aliens or the Kennedy assassination or all those kind of interesting wild things. Uh, The Illuminati, uh, apparently there is like a, a death horse Uh, at the Denver airport that underneath it, there's just all kinds of wacky experiments going on, Area 51. You know, there's all kinds, there's no shortage of conspiracy theories that we can pull from. And so Ryan and I want to circle back, do another conspiracy theory episode, and hopefully everyone will enjoy that as well. Now, just looking on my list here, I don't want to go too in-depth, right? Because I don't want to over-promise. I want to under-promise and Ryan and I want to over-deliver with some of these ideas. So I'll kind of just hash through some of these. Uh, The next one is just guests, right? We want to have more guests on the Otaku Brothers podcast. We have a list of, I think, 24, 25 people. Uh, Some of them are repeat guests because, you know, we've had good friends of the show, Blinkoom, Frantic, Nolan. We had Pete Dore on the podcast. Literally, Pete Dore was our first guest on the show. Episode 9, opening Pandora's box. What a great time that was. Pete is one of the most chill, relaxed, kind dudes that I've met on the internet, and I love chatting with him. I love tuning into his Twitch streams. I promise this is not a Pete appreciation podcast, even if it often seems like it. But uh, one thing I did want to pick his brain about, uh, because I know he's a tremendous fan, and you know, many people stumbled across Pete's YouTube videos back in the day because of a video he did showcasing his Xbox 360 collection. And I don't want to age or date anybody or make people feel bad, all right? We're all about making people feel better here, trying to make people laugh and keep things lighthearted. But the Xbox 360 came out 16 years ago this November. Think about that. 16 years ago. How crazy is that? At what point do we consider the Xbox 360 and the PS3 and the Wii generation retro? We're getting close. I mean, once it hits the 20-year mark, I think we got to start we got to start thinking about that, right? Because at what point do we consider the PS1, the N64, the Dreamcast? When do we consider those things retro? It's probably about 15-20 years after they came out, right? So, I want to pick Pete's brain about the Xbox 360. I want to do a complete retrospective of the console. I want to hear Ryan's story, my story, well, of course, just tell my story, and Pete's story about when each of us got the Xbox 360, the first games we got, the hype leading up to launch. Like, I remember just sifting through 
Game Informer magazines and seeing the screenshots for games like The Outfit, Call of Duty 2, Fight Night Round 3, Peter Jackson's King Kong, and just being completely mesmerized by the graphics in those games. And then just the hype leading up to launch, people recording videos of being, uh, you know, sitting out at Best Buy, camping out, waiting for the machine, getting it, just the slick, futuristic-looking white design of it all, and that little glowing green tint when you clicked on the console. What movie was it? Was it X-Men 3, The Final Stand or whatever, when that kid was playing an Xbox 360? I don't know. All I do know, and I can say with absolute certainty, is that I would love to have Pete on three years after we first had him on to uh, celebrate the Xbox 360 because, my gosh, what an amazing console and what a fantastic generation of video games that came along with it. And I think it would just be really fun to pick his brain about that and pick a lot more people's brains about a lot of things. And so Ryan and I have... Tons of people lined up for the show. It's just a matter of us reaching out and seeing if people even want to talk with us because that's the the ultimate hurdle, right? But uh, yeah, I think it'd be fun to, to chat with people and we have kind of specific topics for the guests that we have lined up. So more to come there. Next two ideas that Ryan and I have, uh, kind of, sort of, like a, a book club. I know there's the Cartridge Club podcast out there. Uh, a lot of people do this type of thing, and and Ryan and I aren't really approaching it as such, but we do hope people will come along and play the games that we end up discussing for these two different segments. The first one, and all of these names are, are subject subject to change, uh, but the first one is Then versus Now. And so Ryan and I want to take a game that we're both very fond of, that we we played growing up, or at least one of us played growing up, and revisit that game and just talk through our original stories playing it growing up and revisiting it however many years later you know how does it actually hold up taking an honest critical eye to some of the games that we we adore or maybe we just have a passive interest in and we have just a small list of things to potentially tackle but I'm sure just looking at our game shelves we could potentially pull from anything but you know going back and playing something like kingdom hearts one which i feel like i already do almost every year as it is but revisiting my stories playing that game for the first time growing up when i was 10 seeing it at a buddy's house and how does the platforming in deep jungle hold up you know 20 years later uh not very well you know you know I'm the, i'll be the first to admit that but uh games like oblivion right on the xbox 360 and pc when that first came out pokemon red blue and yellow uh, stuff like that. I think it'd be fun to replay some of those games and reminisce about our, our fond memories playing them growing up, but then also taking a critical eye, you know, umpteen years later. How do those games hold up nowadays? Uh, the next segment that we were thinking about is uh, something called Uncultured Gamer or The Uncultured Gamer. And this could potentially kind of overlap with the then versus now segment, but this is really looking at a game that either Ryan or myself have never played and we feel uncultured in a certain sense because it's it's looked at as kind of or deemed as a classic video game. You know, things like Metal Gear Solid. While I've tried to play the first one a few different times at this point, I've never gotten all the way through. And it's not for my lack of enjoyment, though I think it has aged not the best. Uh, I, I do want to play that game because I want to experience the rest of the series and for me, I feel like I can't move on to Sons of Liberty and what is 
three, Snake Eater, something like that. I don't know. I don't, see. I'm uncultured. I I don't even know the names of the games in the series, but I want to play Metal Gear Solid. Ryan, gosh, I don't even know how I had him as a as a co-host on this podcast without doing a screening of the games that he's actually played and completed. The man has never played Goldeneye on the N64. He's never played Perfect Dark. He's never played Donkey Kong 64. I can literally hear Grant Kirkhope like groaning over in California. I can't believe it. He's never played Bioshock. Maybe he has played Bioshock. Ryan's probably listening to this and texting me furiously. But um, but how fun though for me and for Ryan to get to kind of re-experience those things together if one of us is fond of that game or if we both haven't. I think it'd be really fun to play those games again however many years later after they've come out and just try and see what the hype was all about. And even if it if the hype still stands today, you know, recently... Uh, seven, eight years later, I finally got around to playing Bioshock Infinite, and my gosh, does that game hold up tremendously well. Still blown away. Still thinking about the end of that game. So, I would love to do something similar uh, with any number of games. I know I have a lot of games sitting back there on the shelf uh, that I've purchased with the intentions of playing, and I haven't. You know, I have the Silent Hill HD collection. I've never played Silent Hill 2 and 3 outside of a... Uh, a jam-packed demo that scared the hell out of me as a kid, but I would love to play those games eventually. Dead Space 1, 2, and 3, never played those. There's no shortage of games, and I have tons of things on my Steam library that I never really got around to playing. Games like KOTOR, I never really played much of KOTOR, believe it or not. Knights of the Old Republic, Morrowind, the original Legend of Zelda. I mean, again, there's literally thousands of video games that Ryan and I could tap into for the uncultured gamer segment, but I think it would be really fun for the both of us, and I think it'd also be an opportunity for people that listen to this show, all of you, all of you fine people out there, to play that game along with us, write in with your thoughts. It doesn't have to be a book club in the traditional sense, but we could also figure out, are there games in the, you know, the Otaku Brothers community that many people haven't played as well, and even if Ryan and I have played them, we can all experience it together and kind of reminisce, celebrate, or critique, you know, whatever game that ends up being. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So as I'm kind of just continue to rant about all these ideas, let us know what you think. I think ultimately, not only is it about what Ryan and I want the show to become, because, you know, ultimately we're doing this because we have a love of doing it, and that's that's why we started this whole thing to begin with, and that's why we continue to put the show out there, because he and I still love Saturday mornings, him coming over here, uh, we typically talk for like an hour and a half before we even start recording the podcast, uh, just drinking some coffee, and then we sit down and just talk about video games, things that are going on in our life. That's that's Otaku Brothers, you know? It's it's meant to be a chill show, but we also want to know what all of you, the listeners, enjoy uh, or don't enjoy about the show, you know? Are there things that you'd like us to do different, or things that you'd like us to do differently, things you want us to do more of or less of? I know we, we've talked quite a bit about uh, should the show length be 45 minutes? Should it be an hour and a half? Should it be two hours? I mean, I tend to take a Dave Grohl Foo Fighters live show approach where, uh, you know, this is the Otaku Brothers. We talk for, for two, three plus hours. You know, that's just what we do here. Uh, we love doing it. And I know for me, when I listen to podcasts, because uh, most of the time, when I do listen to podcasts, I'm playing video games, I'm playing my, my, my Final Fantasies, my Tales of Asperias of the world, and I like to have uh, I like to have a podcast going in the background, and so 
while length isn't necessarily everything, uh, I do enjoy a pretty long podcast episode. There's probably a joke in there somewhere, but we're not going to get into it. So once again, like the show, love the show, ambivalent towards the show, whatever it is, write us an email. I don't talk about this podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about the show. And if there's things that you want us to discuss, things you want us to change, all of that good stuff, the biggest gesture you could give any of us, and by any of us, I just mean Ryan and myself, is write us a review over on the old iTunes. I think it's still up. And uh, rate us however many stars you think we deserve. We'd love to hear any feedback you have for the podcast because we want to make the show as entertaining as we possibly can for everyone out there that continues to listen to it. And my goodness, people, we really, really appreciate all the support we've gotten over the past three years. Not that this is any kind of anniversary episode. This is just episode 107. But I always want to take an opportunity when I can to just continue to thank you, the listeners who continue to support the show, uh, are in the Discord, chatting it up with everyone, and just continue to give Ryan and I the kudos that we probably don't deserve, but we definitely much appreciate all the love. But I think that is enough talk about future plans for the show, the things that we have in the pipeline, all, wait a second, never mind, there's actually one more thing. Uh, so, last episode, Ryan and I talked about doing a watch party for my birthday weekend, uh, turning 28. March 22nd, and uh, Saturday, March 20th, we kind of pitched the idea of watching Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Extended Edition, because we're not watching that Standard Edition stuff. Come on now, get out of here with that garbage. We're watching the Extended Edition, but we're actually not. So, Ryan and I talked about it, and I don't foresee, not that I don't trust anyone here, all right, and not that I don't have faith in the listeners of the Otaku Brothers podcast, all right, but... I don't see many people on a Saturday evening showing up for a four and a half hour movie. Uh, I know I'd be there. Lauren would be there. Ryan would be there. Uh, maybe a couple other folks, but it's kind of a lot to ask. I mean, let's be honest, four and a half hours to sit there and watch a movie. Um, I do it all the time. I make it an effort to watch the, the Fellowship of the Ring probably at least once a year, maybe twice a year. Just depends. Depends what... uh how I'm feeling, I guess, but I figured, you know what, let's, let's actually punt that because to me, Lord of the Rings is almost like a Christmas tradition for, for Lauren and I, and believe it or not, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, Return of the King, each of those films released in theaters in December, if I'm not mistaken, I think each one released around Christmas time. Uh, that's kind of Peter Jackson's thing. I'm pretty sure I saw King Kong on Christmas day with my mom and my sister years ago. But anyways, I figured why not celebrate the 20, we're just celebrating, we're celebrating all kinds of anniversaries, celebrate the 20th anniversary of the fellowship around Christmas time. Obviously, in a post-vaccinated world, I think people will be traveling to see their families, hopefully around the holidays, but we'll try and be mindful of that. Around Christmas time, Ryan and I are hoping to do a watch party with the Discord, watching the Fellowship of the Ring. I think that would be a great time, especially when it is super cold. You can't go anywhere else, all right? There's no excuses to not sit down and watch Lord of the Rings when there's snow-covered grounds and you don't want to drive in the snow, all right? So, December time, Christmas time, we're going to watch Fellowship of the Ring, and then fast forward a year after that, we're going to watch The Two Towers together, and then fast forward a year after that, we're going to watch Return of the King. Otaku Brothers is just going to be around forever, whether you like it or not, so... Assuming we're still recording this podcast, or at least the Discord is still active three years from now, 
we'll have watched all three Lord of the Rings films together, celebrating the 20th anniversary of each respective film in Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King. So stay tuned for that. We're about, you know, nine months away. Uh, But I still want to do something with all of you fine people for my birthday weekend. And I know we just played Halo 3 with the community uh, last night. No, two nights ago. Today's Sunday, which was an amazing time. Really big shout out to uh, Dean, Josh, Blink, Ryan, of course, was there. Comeback Kid was there. It was a lot of fun playing Halo with the group, but I didn't want to do another game night, even though Ryan and I have more game nights planned. So stay tuned. And once again, people, if you're not in the Discord, click that little link in the show notes. We'd love to have you there. A lot of fun things planned in the future. But I was I still wanted to run with the idea of a watch party. And so I, Ryan and I were kind of tossing around ideas. And then uh, m- most recent friend of the show, actually, uh, his name is, I believe, Josh. That's his uh, his alias on the Discord and Twitter anyways. And it's not frantic. It's not That's not that Josh. A different one. He was um, DMing me about potential ideas. And he said, you know, Detective Pikachu would be a great idea. And I'm like, that would be awesome because I still haven't seen that film. And... You know, that would just be a riot. That would just be a fun movie to uh, to watch with with all the good people. Very wholesome. But then I thought, let's take it a step further. We're, we just celebrated the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, right? So why not watch the first Pokemon movie with all of you? It's emotional. It's great. Pikachu's the best. Ash Ketchum, what's up? It's a really great movie. It was one of the first movies I actually ever saw in theaters when I was a wee little lad. And plus, it's relatively short, so you don't have to waste four and a half hours of your life sitting in a Discord watching the greatest movie of all time in Lord of the Rings. Instead, we get to watch Pokemon, have a good time, and then maybe after the fact, we hop in and play some Halo. Uh, Of course, if anyone uh, is willing to do that, but that's the plan, so stay tuned. More details in the Discord. Uh, I'll probably post something on Twitter as well, but we're going to watch the original, the OG first Pokemon movie together with the crew and uh, we'll react to it. You know, the details are yet to come. Uh, Josh Frantic is actually going to help me with the behind the scenes logistics of all of that. So stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be really, really fun. I'm excited for it and I hope all of you uh, will get excited as well. But one thing I did want to talk about before I get into the, I guess, main topic of the show where I want to talk about how my gaming collective collecting habits have changed. I want to talk about the games I've been playing recently. We always do that here on Otaku Brothers, even if it is just myself. And I've really only been playing one game in particular because it's such a meaty experience, and that is Final Fantasy XII. I'm, of course, playing the Zodiac Age, which is the voice crack edition. It's actually the, the remastered edition. So, of course, I think there's just a lot of quality of life stuff in this one. The The soundtrack compositions have all been remastered. The graphics have been remastered. It's really just the definitive way to play Final Fantasy XII. And this is one, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like post-Final Fantasy X, every game since then has just been so divisive among fans. Certainly thirteen. I think fifteen was very hit or miss for people. Uh, I, of course, am one of the biggest... Uh, supporters and fans of Final Fantasy 13 and more recently 15, uh, but I'm kind of going backwards in the series at this point. And 12 was always one that fascinated me just because of 
the combat system that people always kind of compared to an MMO. And so I wanted to give it a try, and I had four games that I was tossing around that I wanted to play. Threw up a, a poll on Twitter, and Final Fantasy XII ended up reigning supreme. So, mm, I just had to take a sip of coffee. I'm sorry. I should probably edit that out, but hopefully everyone else out there is drinking a nice warm beverage uh, of your choice because it's still a little brisk out there here in the great state of Ohio. But anyways, Final Fantasy XII, wow. I think the thing that maybe took me by surprise most was its its opening. It, it really opens with a cinematic bang. I mean, it's about eight to ten minute cutscene, I think is what it kind of starts with. And I don't think I'm I'm spoiling too much. I mean, it's it's literally the first few minutes of the game. So it's not like it's uh, some groundbreaking end of game scene that I'm, I'm spoiling here. But uh, it really kind of just begins with this marriage between these two young people, this prince and princess. Uh, the prince, of course, goes to war. Uh, he dies on a chocobo, no less, and their kingdom is then overthrown, uh, the princess actually ends up committing suicide after the king is murder, murdered, it's pretty dark, to be honest, and I, I, I don't want to be mindful of how I, I phrase this, but I do kind of like the more mature themes and approach to storytelling they're taking with 12, and it gives me hope, or at least I'm curious how that's going to feed into Final Fantasy 16, which I think I might need a Chronos Correction corner on this one, but I think that game is rated M. So it'll be interesting to see thematically how how they take use of that more mature rating. Uh, I hope it's it's more than just a bunch of blood and swearing, and it's they they kind of go deeper into the storytelling than that, and and that's why it earned its more mature rating than just a bunch of uh, blood and gore because that's. That's kind of useless, but I think Final Fantasy XII, even though it's rated T for teen, does it pretty tastefully, at least to kick things off. Things get a little bit more lighthearted as the story progresses, and I think right now I'm about six to eight hours into the game. Uh, I, of course, spent quite a bit of time just running the fields and completing a number of side quests and grinding and things like that, uh, as opposed to just beelining the story, because... That's how I love playing my Final Fantasy games is finding those opportunities to grind, throw on a podcast, and Final Fantasy XII is definitely very conducive to that. And the combat system itself, I do like quite a bit. It, it took some getting used to, uh, but for those that are not familiar with it, it's kind of called this gambit system. And so when the story kicks off, you're not, you don't have any party members, but eventually you come into uh, contact with a number of other folks and they join your party. And there's this thing called the gambit system where you can kind of program and assign your different party members to do a number of different things. And so in the menu system, you can prioritize each of their different uh, actions, if you will. And so take a mage like character, for example, your first priority with a mage character is obviously going to be healing people, uh, providing buff spells and debuff spells, things of that nature. But then maybe the second priority is casting uh, like fire and thunder and other magic type spells against the enemies, assuming the party is healed well. But then as the characters, as your party starts getting injured and hurt, then it'll go back to priority number one and start healing people. It's a really unique system, and they do it in such a way, and maybe 
maybe Zodiac Age has a lot more quality of life updates that just make it more user-friendly for the player. But for me, it doesn't feel too complex or over my head where I feel like I have to consult a guide constantly. It's really pretty self-explanatory. Uh, they, of course, have tutorials in place to kind of walk you through and explain how the Gambit system works, how you prioritize those different actions. And the other piece to it, too, is that there's these things called licenses. And so that's really just a fancy word for class system. And so you obviously want to have a balanced party where you have a mage character, you have a tank character that's getting the brunt of the attacks in battle and kind of pulling the attention of the foe away from, from everyone else so, so that you have your knights and your other type characters that are attacking and things of that nature. And when you choose a class for your character or a license, it kind of opens up this chessboard of sorts where you unlock specific upgrades to that character's license. And so taking the, the mage as an example again, you might be unlocking certain outfits for that mage and there's different tiers to that. So there's like tier one, two, three, four, all the way to who knows where. And those tiered outfits then allow you to buy specific armor when you go into different towns and merchants. And it's the same with weapons. And you're not only out unlocking, you know, the ability to equip different weapons and, and armor types, you're also unlocking like plus 50 to your health, plus 50 to your defense, things of that nature. So I, I like the leveling up system quite a bit, especially for a game that came out, you know, 15 years ago. I think it's done in such a way where I feel like it's relatively newcomer friendly. I, I definitely don't think it's the the first Final Fantasy game you should play if you're new to the series. Uh, I, I always say that, you know, Final Fantasy 9 uh, and maybe 10 is the place to start if you've never played a Final Fantasy game before. Uh, start with 9. It's one of my favorites, probably my favorite Final Fantasy game altogether. But I'm really enjoying my time with 12. The story's interesting. The characters I, I care about for the most part so far. Uh, I really like this kind of steampunk western Star Wars world that they've created. Uh, when you're kind of going around these towns, it almost feels like you're walking uh, in Naboo or something like that. It's, it's really interesting. And it, this was meant to be a very clear uh, change in direction for the series. Uh, both from a storytelling perspective, which is very evident from the very start of the game. Uh, obviously, the combat system isn't your traditional uh, random encounter and turn-based battle approach. This is actually, I think, the first Final Fantasy game where there, there wasn't uh, random encounters. As you're walking uh, along the overworld, it's kind of this is kind of where that MMO aspect comes into play uh, because the, the enemies are just littered across the map and you just approach them and you start fighting them there's no transition scene into combat it's all in real time which again really makes for uh fun evenings just putting on a podcast and grinding and one thing of course you can't talk about final fantasy without talking about the music right and this soundtrack was actually composed by the brilliant hitoshi sakamoto and kind of in line with the clear uh, change in direction for the series you know previously uh, the mainline Final Fantasy games most of the time were composed by Nobuyu Umatsu and I think Hit Hitoshi Sakamoto's composition 
really complements the clear change in direction for the series, darker approach to storytelling. Uh, it's it's very evident in the themes of the game that play in those critical story moments, but also wandering the towns. I just think he has a much different approach or style to his musical compositions than Nobuo Umatsu. And it's not that it's it's better. It's it's just it's just different. And some of the themes are just so so good and i'll probably try and and play one of them here uh but i mean sakamoto is such a brilliant composer you you've probably whether you know it or not he composed soundtracks or at least was had a hand in helping compose soundtracks for games like final fantasy tactics vagrant story uh tactics ogre let them cling together i believe on the ps1 he's also uh composed a number of soundtracks for the vanillaware games so your dragon's crowns odin sphere uh games like that so i'm really enjoying my time with it and it's definitely one of those games that you know while i'm working throughout the day or i'm doing stuff around the house or i'm driving to the grocery store whatever it is i'm thinking about playing this game getting back in the the world grinding a few more levels progressing the story listening to more of sakamoto's great soundtrack and that's ultimately just the telltale sign of a great video game right you just can't stop thinking about it and that's definitely true here with final fantasy 12 the zodiac age so i can't wait to play more i am definitely curious though what other people think about it because it is kind of more of a divisive game and it's not one I hear people talking about much, you know, I, when people talk about Final Fantasy, they talk about kind of the holy trinity of games in 7, 8, and 9, they talk about 10, 6, 4, 13, because of its, its, its device, because it being so divisive, but 12 is the one that outside of, you know, back in the YouTube gaming community days, I don't remember people talking much about it, so would love to hear your thoughts, either, you know, shoot me a message on Twitter or the best place, Get in on Discord. Let me know. What do you think about Final Fantasy XII? I'm definitely looking forward to playing more. And I'm sure in the coming weeks when Ryan and I talk about the games that we've been playing recently, I'll be uh, sharing my, my journey with the game.
right, so we are about 45 minutes into this show, and I still haven't got to the main topic. That's that's typical of me just continuing to rant about all kinds of, of nonsense, but the rants are going to continue here with this main topic of discussion. Again, this is something that I, and I constantly think about, and it's my approach is always, I guess, evolving in a certain sense, and I think many people can probably relate, but I love thinking about, talking about game collecting, because it means something different to everyone uh, that considers themselves a collector or a video game hobbyist, you know, whatever you want to classify it as. I think everyone approaches it a little bit differently, and I know for me, my, you know, video game collecting habits have changed significantly over the years, and certainly in the past few after getting married, uh, they've changed pretty drastically, I guess, in terms of the types of games I buy, uh, my motivation for buying and collecting, and certainly the types of games that I buy. And so I just wanted to talk through that because I think it's such an interesting conversation and and hopefully it'll lead others to uh, either respond to this directly in Discord or, uh, gosh, I miss the days of YouTube uh, response videos. I, I, I think that's a bygone era. It no longer exists, but maybe this will inspire someone out there to create a YouTube video talking about how their game collecting habits have changed, or maybe you have a podcast of your own that you'll continue the the dialogue and the conversation about game collecting, because I think it's definitely a, a fascinating one. But let's take it back to, I guess, the roots of when I considered myself to be someone that you know was an avid collector of games and it's it's a story that most people will know if, especially if you're listening to this podcast uh when i first started my youtube channel back in 2010 uh, i think it was june or july that summer before starting my senior year of high school i had recently reacquired a ds uh when i originally got my my ds fat I sold it and all of its all the games I had in order to get a PSP, and then a few years later, I was just really in the mood to to play the the next generation of Pokemon games, which was uh, Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. Which hello, we're getting the remix, uh, but I got Platinum, my DS Lite, Mario Kart DS, and a few games, and and I just wanted game recommendations, and so at the time, I went to YouTube and just searched for. DS recommendations or DS collection or whatever it was. And uh, I've told this a number of times, but I always like revisiting it because I feel like uh, I'm reliving those memories of, you know, getting ready to start my senior year of high school, uh, pretty stress-free life, uh, not really a care in the world outside of uh, my studies and hanging out with friends and playing video games. Good times. But uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone can, if you are part of the YouTube gaming community, you know the three channels that I most likely stumbled upon when searching for DS games back in 2010, and it was Pete Dore, uh, Craig, TV and Lust, and uh, Finn Gamer. Uh, all three really great people. Uh, all of them are, are creating something in a certain sense still out there, uh, whether it's YouTube videos or Pete's streaming, uh, and Finn Gamer occasionally will record some stuff for YouTube as well. Uh, but it was those three channels that I just was couldn't believe that there were these people out there on the internet recording themselves talking about video games and showcasing their collection of games, whether it was a specific console or they're walking through their game rooms and, and just showing how they've over the years amassed this 
crazy, awesome collection of games and memorabilia and consoles and things of that nature. And it really inspired me to to think like, you know, I I think I could do that because that was a day and age where it was so simple to just grab a, a camera or a really crappy webcam through one of your HP laptops and just sit in your game room or your living room or your garage. I mean, back then, there was no real standard or expectation that the video you were creating would have anything resembling quality, right? Whether it was the lighting in the room, the audio, whatever it was, you expected the picture to look like there was Vaseline smeared all over the camera and your voice was going to be super muffled, your air conditioner was going to be going on in the background, but that was the beauty of the YouTube gaming community back then because it just had kind of this raw feel to it where no one really cared about the quality and the view count and the thumbnails and the clickbait. It was kind of just like this community of like-minded people that wanted to share and this mutual love and hobby of video games, collecting them, and hopefully inspiring others to play games that they might not otherwise have played because um, not many people were talking about the E-series or Dragon Quest and things of that nature back then. And so to watch these people like Pete, like Craig, like Finn Gamer, speak so passionately about these games and share the collection of games, it inspired literally an entire generation of people to either begin collecting games, younger folks like myself, or maybe people in their 20s and 30s and 40s to reminisce and have fun memories of their past as a kid playing the NES or the Atari 2600 or the Sega Genesis and wanting to repurchase and reacquire that collection of games that they had as a kid but maybe sold off. And I was kind of at that stage in my life even as a, how old are you when you're a junior in high school? Like uh, 15, 16, 17? I don't even know. I think I was like about uh, 16 or 17. I wanted to start getting DS recommendations. But of course that led into this whole rabbit hole of like, oh my gosh, look at all these PS2 games Pete has. What is this DS game called The World Ends With You that Craig speaks so highly of? Oh my word, look at the complete N64 collection that FinGamer has. What in the absolute world is Fantasy Star and Ease that Johnny Happy Console Gamer keeps talking about? How in the world did Games 1 get the number of consoles that he did and that he still has to this very day? You know, it was just such a fascinating time and it really kind of sparked something in me to want to begin collecting video games in a different way than I had growing up because growing up, my parents got me uh, a teal Game Boy Color and a copy of Pokemon Red. They got me the N64 and I was so young at the time, I don't remember asking for these things, right? It was one of those things that... I, I was just so thankful that I had parents that were, I guess, in the know or something like that. Maybe the neighbors were buying these things for their kids and my parents were like, oh, that just seems like a, a neat new toy that my sister and I might like. And so they got us those things. But growing up, I, I never really had the mentality necessarily of I'm always going to keep the box and manual for every N64 game that I get or Game Boy Color game that I get. And even when I got the PS2 and uh, the GameCube and things of that nature, like I, I always kept really good care of my stuff and I always made sure my manuals were in pristine condition and 
When I would loan games to my friends, I always made sure I got them back. I never wrote on my N64 cards or anything like that, but I, I never considered myself a collector. I just, I loved video games so, so much, and it was it was my greatest hobby, and I also always felt like in my friend group growing up, I was always the one that loved it just a little bit more than everyone else, you know, and certainly as I got older, uh, you know, I, I went through middle school and then really getting into high school, you know, that's kind of where I didn't like separate from my friend groups. I still hung out with my friends and stuff like that. And we still talked and we still hung out and played Rock Band and Guitar Hero and Madden and Call of Duty 3 and Halo and all of those things. But then I'd go home and play things like Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle Earth 2. Or I would turn on my N64 and play Perfect Dark uh, with a bunch of bots and multiplayer. Or I would boot up my PS1 and, and revisit old save files of Spyro 2, Ripto's Rage, Ms. Pac-Man, Maze Madness, things of that nature that my friends just didn't really understand. And it's it's neither here nor there, but it, it's just one of those things where I came to the realization that I just love video games differently than, than some of my, my, my inner circle, my, my close friends at the time. And that just continued to evolve and to a point where I just, I was never ashamed of it right? I mean, I, I loved playing video games and no one really made fun of me or anything like that. But I, I also got to a point where I was wondering, there's, there's gotta be other people out there that are my age that, that feel similar to me. They're in my shoes where their inner circle just doesn't quite care about video games as much as they do. And that's obviously what YouTube fortunately was able to give to me is just, or introduced me to, I should say, was this community of people that felt the exact same way that I did. And it opened up the gates to a whole new world, quite literally, of games and game series that I never would have otherwise played. I've already mentioned stuff like Ease on the PSP, Oathen Felgana, Seven, Chronicles 1 and 2, the Dragon Quest series. I, my goodness, I thanks to Johnny, Happy Console Gamer, I don't think I ever would have played games like that if it wasn't for them. And Pete Dorr, Craig from TV and Lust, Steph's Too Deaf, Splatter Trigger, Retrocalypse, Fem Trooper, Ball and Nick 1980-something, Comeback Kid. I mean, there's so many I could go on and on. It would be so fun. And Pete Dorr actually did this. He he kind of did this um, uh, reminiscing uh, Twitch stream where he went back and watched a bunch of old YouTube videos of people that were in the gaming community. Many channels are kind of just a barren wasteland, you know, because people haven't uploaded videos in so long. And and that kind of gets into what I, what I think I've already mentioned is that the community just isn't what it once was. And, and YouTube in general just isn't what it once was. It doesn't really favor new creators, people that are just getting started. It, it really favors the people that have the hundreds of thousands and millions of YouTube videos or subscribers, I mean. Uh, and then you get into like just the ad, the millions of ads on YouTube videos and all of that stuff. And it's, it's really difficult to be seen nowadays in the YouTube space. And I feel so fortunate and I've said this so many times, but I can never say it enough that I was, I was seen, you know, like I felt like back then anyone could be seen. And you still can. I mean, I would never want to discourage anyone from, from pursuing something that they love Continue to make YouTube videos if, if you're you're doing that, but um, it, it, back then it was just it was just different. There's really no way to explain it. 
uh, or understand it unless you were you were really a part of it, you know. And getting back on on track here, just talking about collecting and how my habits have changed and and how that inspired me to collect. You know, there were these things that people still do today called pickup videos, where you would just kind of amass a number of games and then you go on camera and you would share each of the games that you picked up and it became this thing where I almost felt like I needed to do that. It was almost like a keeping up with the Joneses Joneses mentality where all of these people were doing these games I bought recently or pickup videos or new games episodes and I did the same thing. You know, I was doing collect or I was doing pickup videos pretty frequently like once a month, you know? So I was going to play in trades and uh, game stops and garage sales and flocking to eBay. Uh, I also used a site called Game Teasy, uh, Game Trading Zone, which I I still go on every once in a while. Uh, it was a great place to get deals that were uh, from like-minded collectors, uh, so you didn't have to pay the rates that uh, the eBay was necessarily charging you. And this was also about the same time that I created a backloggery account when I first started my YouTube channel. And so not only was I amassing all of these games, which felt so good, you know, I mean, in a certain sense, like buying games feels really, really good. And part of that was not only having the games come in the mail or walking out of a store with a pile of games or leaving someone's house, you know, walking away from a garage sale, finding or scoring a nice system or collection of games, uh, but it was also going home and then having this pile of games on my desk and updating my backloggery, entering in all of these games manually because it's not pulling from a database. So uh, that made it even that much more fun. But I think part of it, part of me kind of got too lost in the collecting mentality. And it's really twofold for me because part of it, I did discover games that I never would have otherwise played. Like the Castlevania and Dragon Quest games on the DS, uh, Knights into Dreams on the Wii, uh, Mushroom Men in the Spore Wars on Wii. I mean, there's I could literally go down a, a crazy list of games that I never would have otherwise played. Many of the games I actually still have today, but I think part of it too was me going into stores and just saying like, oh, this game is published by Atlas. This is an RPG. I need to buy this. Sakura Wars, So Long My Love on PS2, the collector's edition. Heck yeah, I'll buy that. 30 bucks, why not? You know, and I just started getting lost in the collecting mentality without any real purpose. And it, it was getting to a point for me where I wasn't even buying games that I really had an interest in. It was more, I need fuel or I need content for my pickup videos so I better buy a nice fancy stack of games so I can talk about them and so thankfully you know over the years I kind of came to my senses and I've since purged a lot of that but I think a lot of it too was just going to college and not having the time to uh, pump dozens of hours into these big JRPGs um Sort of. I mean, actually, I kind of take that back because uh, one of my fondest memories in college, uh, my freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year, is every year I made an effort to play a different DS Dragon Quest game. And so I just remember, uh, you know, oftentimes Friday nights or Saturday nights, as pathetic as it sounds, uh, while while a lot of people were out getting getting drunk and partying it up, I was uh, crawling up into my, my bunk and putting on like 
Avatar and the Last Airbender, binging that and playing, you know, Dragon Quest four or five on my DS. But, um, but you know, there were just a lot of games that I didn't have the time to play. It was something like Dragon Quest that was more mindless, and so a lot of that collecting mentality kind of went by the wayside in college. And then, uh, you know, thankfully. Uh, I met my, my wife in college, Lauren. A lot of you probably are familiar with her. Uh, she's Gizmo's Game Room out on Twitter and Instagram. Definitely definitely give her a follow. She's doing some awesome stuff. But when we got married, you know, thankfully she was super, super supportive of my hobby and uh, the, the collecting mindset because uh, she's also getting a lot more into video games than she ever had previously because she grew up playing games with Ryan like um, Call of Duty, Destiny, Halo, Skyrim, Smash Brothers, things of that nature, but things like Kingdom Hearts and RPGs in general weren't something that she would normally play. So it's it's really neat that, you know, it's almost come full circle for me, uh, and I feel so fortunate once again that now I have someone in my life that I can help uh, open up her eyes to this entirely new and giant world of video games that... I, you know, 10 years ago, never really knew about. I mean, obviously I played, like I was saying, video games a lot more than my friends did. And I was always wanting to explore new genres and find new games, new hidden gems, if you will. Uh, Now I can share that with Lauren, uh, which has been just so cool to, to see her eyes light up playing a game that maybe I discovered 10 years ago, like Dragon Quest or like Kingdom Hearts. It's just been really neat. But before I get into, you know, like what I collect or what I consider myself, quote unquote, still collecting today, I do just want to circle back to what it was like finding deals in the early 2000s and certainly even when the YouTube gaming community was alive and thriving, which is what I consider to be like the 2008 to 2012 or 13 timeframe. You could still go on eBay and find really great deals. You could find lots of PS1 games, RPGs, and, and you could actually make out like a bandit with, with some of those games because they hadn't skyrocketed to the prices that you see nowadays. You know, stuff like GameCube and Super Nintendo and Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance. I mean, it is quite nearly impossible to buy into or collect for any of those systems affordably nowadays. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before stuff like the Wii and maybe the Wii U, uh, you know, PS3 and 360 right now. It's a great time to collect for stuff like that because, uh, one, those 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 games were uh, printed in such mass quantities that it's it's not going to be a while before stuff like that goes up. But stuff on PS3, there is some stuff that's, that's really kind of climbing in price and it's just becoming so increasingly challenging to find deals because more than anything, the mom and pop shops, the half price books of the world, uh, you know, the moms that are, and the, the, the just the parents and the grandmas that are selling their, their kids collections at garage sales, they know how much these games are going for. And then sometimes they think they're going for a lot more than they actually are. And so it, it really takes the the collecting joy out of it a little bit, um, you know, if you're hoping to go to garage sales and, and score stadium events or an entire library of PS1 RPGs, 
the chances of that happening are nearly impossible nowadays. And, you know, just a few stories that I have, you know, back when it, it, it was a little bit easier to, uh, to make out with a great deal. I remember going into Half Price Books, and this was when I believe I'd started my YouTube channel at this point. And I went over to the video game section and I saw minty, fresh, complete in box copies of Pokemon Gold, Pokemon Silver, and Pokemon Pinball just sitting there on the shelf. And I got them for $10 a piece. Nowadays, you walk into Half Price Books, the original Mario Brothers Duck Hunt, just the cart, is behind a bulletproof glass wall and can only be unlocked by the store manager casting the Alohomora spell. Like, that's how crazy it's become nowadays. And it really kind of sucks in a certain sense because there's a lot of games that I played growing up that I would love to revisit. And the Game Boy Color in particular, I just, I love the boxes for those games. And I, of course, never really kept my original boxes growing up or I, I just, I sold them because I, I was just really bad about that growing up, trading things in so I could buy new stuff. And it's just so expensive to collect for things like that nowadays. And the GameCube as well. It just stinks that things have, have skyrocketed in price so much. But at the same time, I think it causes you or me or whoever to really cherish the one or two games you can potentially afford a month to get for something like the Game Boy Color or the GameCube. Because it's not as easy to just fork down $60 and, you know ebay ships you off 12 15 gamecube games or inbox Game Boy color games it just doesn't work like that anymore and uh so I, I think it is more just about appreciating the 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 gems that you can potentially find and and buy and purchase and and affordably get um even if it isn't in the excessive quantities that um you know some of us would like but i also remember uh a time when i was i was walking into gamestop and I remember this mom was there with her son and they had this huge bag of original Xbox games. And, and this was a time, you know, I think GameStop at this point, they they're starting to uh, they're starting to take trades in for um, you know, retro consoles. And I think you can also purchase retro games uh, from their their online store. But I remember them having this this big bag of original Xbox games. And this was, again, when I was getting more into trying to discover new games or repurchase some of the games I'd gotten rid of growing up when I was on YouTube and the store manager person had just turned them away and said, no, we're not accepting Xbox games anymore. We're not accepting PS2, GameCube, really anything pre 360 PS3 and Wii. And I would think I was in line getting ready to buy something. And I said, Hey, would you mind if I took a look at what you had, I'd, I'd be more than happy to pay you guys for, for any of the games that I, I might potentially want because he was just looking to unload, you know, he was, he, he'd given up on all of the, the childhood games that he grew up with and he was looking forward to, uh, getting the Xbox 360 at that point. And so I was kind of sifting through the bag and I saw perfect, uh, perfect condition copies of, uh, Knights of the Old Republic one and two. And I said, Hey, I really would love to buy these games off you. I'll pay whatever you guys are looking to get for them. And the mom was like, we're not going to make you pay any more than five bucks a piece for these. And I was like, I, I, you know, looking back on it, I wish I would have been like, listen, no, 
you you guys can get a lot more for these games. Uh, they're worth more than just five bucks a piece, but I gave them ten bucks and uh, I got two copies of uh, or a copy each for Kotor one and two and, and stuff like that. Just it rarely happens. I mean, that's that's a time and place situation, but it's rare that uh, you're gonna walk into someone that's trying to unload a collection of stuff and and you're there in time to get it and then they're also just like yeah by the way we'll basically give this to you for for free virtually it's definitely just a different time i think and, and i don't want to be <laughs> i'm not trying to come across as like some negative nancy and and saying that people shouldn't collect video games because i still collect video games you know i still frequent ebay and pete door uh he has every saturday night he has ebay streams where he literally just browses ebay and tries to find great deals uh, for his viewers, and and he does, you know, he he knows all of the search strats, and he finds uh, lots of great deals for for people. And there's definitely still some great deals to be had on eBay, and certainly out in the wild. I know plenty of people that still frequent garage sales, in, of course, a post and pre-pandemic world, and, and are able to find good deals. But it's just not quite the same as it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago for sure. And uh, it is what it is, you know, it, it was meant at a certain point, you know, video games were going to be seen for their true value and people would have uh, been been charging for them more because, hey, they're more desirable now than they probably ever have been. So it is what it is, my friends. But what I do want to also kind of close this whole discussion out is, OK, so my strategy used to be buy everything, buy as many video games as I possibly can without any rhyme or reason or purpose or even desire to play that specific game. It was just, I want as many cases and as many carts on my shelf as possible. And over the years, I've really purged a lot of the collection and whittled it down to be kind of the, the Rusty's greatest hits, if you will. And, you know, hopefully here in the next few months to kind of commemorate a, uh, I guess it'll be the 11-year anniversary of my first YouTube video. I do want to do a proper game room tour, uh, kind of just walking people through what it's been. You know, what a great kind of bookend to the Ari Lewis 2011 channel, just seeing where I was as a literal child uh, when I was unboxing the Dragon Ball Origins 2 video game uh, versus kind of what it's become today and what I'm really proud of, of what it is and, and the games I have on my shelf. And... Um, here in the game room behind me, I have kind of this wall of games and I, to each side of my desk, I also have like two little mini shelves of games too. And, and kind of my, my MO, my, my thought process with it all is if I can't fit the games on that shelf or on those three shelves, then it's time to do, uh, you know, have an honest look at the games that I do have and figure out what needs to go so we can make room for some new games and uh, give some of these games that have given me a lot of joy over the years uh, potentially a, a new home to someone that can enjoy them just as much as I have. And so that's kind of my thought process. These three shelves, that's about it. And when I say fit them on the shelf, I don't mean playing a game of Tetris and, and shoving them in and stacking games. I want it to look well presented and, and, and just presentable so that when people come in, uh, it could be a unique experience where 
people can come in and browse through the library of games and say, oh my gosh, you have SSX Tricky or you have NBA Street Volume 2 or, or Battlefront 2 or the Mario Party games or Diddy Kong Racing on the N64, whatever it is so that you know friends, family, whoever it might be can have this nostalgia trip with me or they can browse through the library of games and say, Oh, you have Rocket Robot on Wheels? I, I never played that, but I always remember seeing my my friend play it when I would visit him uh, at, at his house. you mind if I borrow that? You know, I, I want it to kind of almost be, uh, as I said, the Rusty's greatest hits, but kind of, of a blockbuster of sorts where people can come over and potentially experience games that they never experience. And the whole YouTube gaming community aspect kind of comes full circle where now I could potentially recommend people some new games. And I hope to do the same with uh, with my kids someday. You know, I, I was talking with uh, a friend of mine that listens to the show and I have five uh, Jinjos behind me. It's five, right? Yeah, five Jinjos, little plushy dolls on the top of my game shelf. And uh, what I hope to do someday with my kids is, uh, first of all, uh, play Banjo-Kazooie with them, have them experience the joy of that game that I once played growing up back in 1998, but hopefully they take a liking to the game. If not, no big deal. I think the concept would still apply is, you know, Friday night after work, Lauren and I log off and and hiding the five Jinjos around the the home so the kids can uh, try and seek them out just as you have to do as Banjo in, in the actual video game. I think that would be pretty neat. But yes, so all in all, I really kind of whittled it down to just be uh, the games that I want it to be. Every game on my shelf either has a story or a purpose or an intention to play. And when it doesn't, then it's time to let it go. That's kind of my thought process. But, uh, you know, nowadays, what do I really collect? There's really just a few systems that I focus on. I feel like for me, uh, the PS1 and the PS2, uh, that the library of games for those consoles are, are pretty much endless in my eyes, and, and I'm always looking for, for new games to add to the collection that cater to my interests, which is typically licensed games, 3D platformers, uh, you know, other just kind of janky uh, adventure games that, that might cater to my, to my interests is, is kind of what I'm looking for these days. But I also love going to game stores, typically, you know, mom and pop shops. And I love finding boxes of Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance games and just grabbing a handful of those. And typically you can find them for pretty cheap, depending on the store you go to and uh, continuing to add to my collection of of cart only uh, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance games, because it's just such a treat sometimes on a Saturday afternoon, sitting down on the couch pulling out the Game Boy Advance SP and just popping and playing, you know, five to 10 Game Boy games for 10, 20, 30 minutes apiece. It's just such a joy to kind of re-experience the joy that that console gave me as a kid. And that's another library of games that um, it, it, it doesn't take up a lot of space in the game room. I literally right now, I want to find a better way to display them. But right now I just have a giant Ziploc bag full of however many, you know, Game Boy carts that I have. And so that's kind of where my collecting has changed. Uh, it's more focused and and I like that about it. But I think that is ultimately the beauty of what makes this medium so special and so unique is that everyone's different. Everyone's tastes for video games uh, is, is somewhat unique and, and different from the other person. 
And in the same vein, I think people's video game collecting habits are different and unique. And I don't really think there's any right or wrong way to collect video games or play them. I, you know, I, th- I think the only thing to be mindful of is as long as you're buying the games that bring you joy and, and the collecting aspect of it isn't a detriment to you or any of the people that you love or any of the people that are around you, then go for it. Whatever collecting looks like to you, however you define video game collecting, go for it. Continue to pursue that because I know for me, it's brought me so much joy. This medium of video games continues to just fill my life with so many amazing memories and my memories growing up playing games with my parents or my friends uh, or my neighbors, whatever it is, video games have always had a place in my life. And I can say with absolute certainty that video games are always going to have a place in my life. And, and I'm, also, I'm just so thankful that my wife uh, has also taken such an interest in games. And it's just also been such a joy to record this podcast with my, my brother-in-law, Ryan, uh, who also has uh, such a similar interest in, in playing games and uh, keeping an open mind to experience new games, because that's ultimately what I think it's all about. And I'm not even sure I made all the points I wanted to. I don't even know if anything I said made any lick of sense because I've kind of just super duper hyped up on coffee right now and I've just been staring at my screen talking for whatever it's been at this point. I think a little over an hour maybe. So hopefully all of you have found this somewhat entertaining. Uh, It's a conversation, again, as I said earlier in the episode, I love having even if it is here with myself staring at my computer screen and I'm just speaking into the void that is the internet. And uh, I'm just hoping that someone hears this, someone enjoys it, and you know maybe you will go to YouTube or record a podcast episode in response to this, sharing your thoughts about how your, your collecting habits have changed over the years. You know, whether you are part of the YouTube video game community or not, uh, I, I still think everyone has a unique and special journey as it relates to to playing games and buying them and collecting and and how our tastes have changed as well. So uh, thank you so much for listening to this. Once again, I hope it was fun and entertaining. And uh, here in Ohio, you know, the weather's changing. The snow is melted. The birds are finally chirping. There's not a cloud in the sky and the sun is out. So I would encourage everyone out there Wherever you are, if you can and the weather doesn't prohibit yourself, go outside, go on a nice walk, obviously being mindful of social distancing and and wearing a mask and and, and keeping in line with all those protocols because we're almost there, people. We're almost there where, uh, you know, hopefully as as the vaccines become more available, we uh, we can start traveling again. We can start visiting our families. We can finally go to a concerts again and experience the the thrill of live music and vacations and uh, expos like I've never been to a PAX East or West or an E3 or whatever else, conventions of that nature, just meeting up with people. I miss it. But before all of that and until then, you can at least go outside, soak up some of that good vitamin D that we all need in our lives right now and uh, breathe some of that fresh air. All right, because we all could use some of that right now. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And next week, the next two weeks, Ryan and I will be battling it out with the March Madness Otaku Brothers character bracket. 
and I will be dropping that probably later tonight or tomorrow on Monday, depending on when you listen to this episode. So stay tuned, everyone, and we will see you very soon. Um